Good morning. And praise God. It's such a joy again for us to come together and gather for our uh, fellowship this morning. I hope we are reminded of that scripture in Hebrews that would encourage us um, to meet together so that we may stir up one another unto love and good works. As I listened to uh, Johnson, I just thought he should continue um, with those reflections that he had in the course of this week from Matthew. Because like he rightly said, yes, um, this is where we've been. Um, maybe next week, but one, I should ask him to just continue and bring all those thoughts um, to us. But we thank God. Today we are in part number six. When we began this series, I just thought that we would, two, we would do two to three uh, lessons and then we, we moved to something else, but it's becoming difficult to complete. But I don't think the emphasis really in completing. The emphasis is for us to come to a good understanding of what God would want us to learn. And so I thank God for all of us who have made it to be here this morning. Thank you for the sacrifice that we have made that we should be here. So I'd like us to um, go to Matthew chapter number 17 and read a scripture that we have read every so often as we have um, met. Matthew 17 verse 5. 17 verse 5. Maybe by this time some of us have already memorized it. But this is during the transfiguration of Jesus. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear him I God will use people like you and I but ultimately it is him that we are to hear and in John chapter number 2 verse 5 they stand to wine when they ran short of wine and the man Jesus in verse 4 tells her, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do. And I hope by now we have embraced the persuasion that even as we continue to be, embraced, I mean, to be exposed to the word of the kingdom, the emphasis really is not in the knowing. It is good for us to know, but the emphasis is in the doing. Because when we stand before God, as you read Revelation 2 and 3, seven times Jesus says, I know your works. He doesn't say, I know your words. And so, whatever he will tell us, even as we study individually, and even as we listen in this morning, that whatever he will tell us today, that we will do. And we have a good example in Ruth, in Ruth chapter number 3 verse 5. After Naomi, a type of the scriptures, gives instructions to Naomi, she makes a commitment in Ruth 3 verse 5. And she said to her, all that you say to me. You read verse 6, the scriptures tell us, so she went down to the threshing floor. And according to, we'll go to our lesson, part number 6. And read our head scripture, Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone 
desires to come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give should be five parts of this lesson. We have learned the following from this head scripture. That coming after Jesus is an individual choice and an individual responsibility. That is to mean that you cannot come after him for me, neither can I for you. But that we have also seen that this individual choice and responsibility is made on a daily basis. That even today we have to make that conscious decision to come after him. And it involves a threefold action to deny or disown self, to take up the cross and to follow him. To take up the cross and to present our bodies a living sacrifice as Paul writes in Romans 12.1 are two ways of saying the same thing. That which is still in bondage to sin our unredeemed soul, the self-life, is to be kept continually in a state of dying so as to remain in subjection under our fully redeemed spirit even as is pictured in baptism. You know, baptism is a one-time event but from the time we are baptized we are to continue to place the man of the flesh under the waters and to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow the Lord is the same action as losing our soul, our life, laying down our self-life for his sake. And we have only two choices, dear friends, either to lose now and profit then, or to profit now and lose then. The choice is ours. And uh, two weeks ago, we were focusing on this last part, the perception, perception of Christ. Because in the scriptures that our brother Johnson read in Matthew 16, verse 14, Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And perception refers to the way in which something or someone is regarded, understood, or interpreted. And going by the response that the disciples gave, the Jews perceived Jesus differently. To some, he was John the Baptist. To some, he was Elijah. To some, he was Jeremiah. And to some, he was one of the prophets. And as Johnson was reading those scriptures, I was asking myself, did Jesus not know what the Jews thought about him? What do you think? Did he know? Yes, he knew. But he went ahead to ask. And I believe it is for the benefit and you, of you and I who are seated here this morning. And so to some Jews, Jesus, who was the carpenter's son, and to others, he was the son of Mary. To others, he was the brother to James, the brother to Joseph, Simon, Judas, and some sisters whose names I'm yet to find out. To others, Jesus was the carpenter himself. And to others, he was the son of Joseph. And we did see then that all this was true. Jesus was indeed the son of the carpenter. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. 
He was a brother to James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and the sisters. But as a result of their perception, we to the identity of Christ, not the spirit. And to this extent, we did see that their minds were blinded. The Jews had viewed both Joseph and Moses as a self-imposed ruler or rulers. And having delivered the Israelites from their oppression in Egypt, the Lord provided inheritance. Then it is incumbent upon us to feed on nothing else but manna. And manna we saw was a supernaturally provided food that God had given to sustain them through their wilderness journey, providing everything that they needed for health and well-being. I don't know whether from um, your history you would see that these children of Israel as they walked through the land of the wilderness, they did not have a change of clothing, even the shoes. And you wonder, how do you wear the same shoe for 40 years? Were they not growing? You know? What about their clothing? I'm sure maybe none of us would be comfortable wearing the same cloth, maybe for a year, but these guys had to do it for 40 years. I wonder what that means. I do not know as yet. But we saw that the children of Israel despised God's provision. They looked backwards to the Egyptian delicacies, which they ate freely. And rather than receiving what God had provided for them, they changed it in an attempt to make it more palatable for them. And they even go to the extent of loathing the provision that God made for them. Eventually, ultimately, they came to the point of despising the promised land itself. And you know, this can also happen to us. That if we don't receive that which God has provided for us, the word of the kingdom, then chances are very high that we will attempt, because of itching years, to change that which God had given, has given to us. And we might even go to that place where we loathe it. And ultimately, even the land of promise, our heavenly inheritance, will be despised by us. May we learn from this. And the invitation that Jesus gives to follow him is an invitation to participate in the seventh day. For you and I today, God has provided living bread. And we saw that in John 6. And this bread... Jesus himself came down from heaven and that is similar to the revelation that was given to Peter. It came to him, was given to him from above and this bread we know is Jesus Christ and the bread in question is his flesh and this refers to Christ, the word made flesh. Contextually, this has to be the word of the kingdom. And any one of us who continually eats this bread, there is a promise in John 6.51 that we will live lit, um, forever, literally, for the age to come. Jesus asked his disciples the same question. Having heard what men, contextually the Jews thought or said of him, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter as a result of receiving revelation from above, responded correctly saying that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Paul, 
had a revelation as well that by way of ending what we did two weeks ago we did say that we can either choose to go back and walk with Christ no more like many of the disciples did in John 6 verse 60 to 66 or we can choose to walk with him much like Simon Peter had said Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life literally speaking age lasting life and you know the scriptures that were read to us in Matthew 16 13 that Johnson read you know when you think about it the response that the Jews gave of him some say John the Baptist some Elijah others Jeremiah or one of the prophets you know it causes us to ask the question did they not know who Christ is because in that lesson two weeks ago we asked how did this revelation come to Peter but also we asked ourselves what was it about Jesus that had not been disclosed to them and I find that it is impossible for us to answer the question who do you say that I am without going back even to his birth and so today I'd like us to look at the birth of Christ the son of the living God there seems to be a culture that when one rises to that level of prominence as you might have seen in the course of this week the media will want to investigate where was this person born which school did he go to I wonder whether that information is helpful anyway but maybe it does put matters to context and so I'd like us to look at the birth of Jesus I know this is a message that comes in December but bear with me December is not here but let us look at the scriptures and examine the birth of Christ the fall of man as we have been learning necessitated his redemption and to do this God made a promise a promise of a redeemer who is none other than Jesus Christ reading the words of Genesis 3 verse 15 this is God speaking to the serpent and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel who is the seed of the woman? Jesus Christ. And who is the seed of the serpent? Because God says, and between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman, rightly, is Christ. So who is the seed of the serpent? Antichrist. Thank you. So let's continue that the prophecy of Christ's incarnation took approximately 4,000 years before it was fulfilled. Paul in Galatians 4.4 writes, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So let us examine the events that led to the birth of Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. We know that God sent angel Gabriel to Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph, reading Luke 1, 26 to 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And we are reminded that angels do God's bidding or his word 
from Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. So my soul that when we see angels working, as we might see in Genesis 19, it is as if God himself is doing the work. And the message to Mary was very precise, continuing in verse 30 to 33. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And being a Jew, Mary understood the message. She must have been conversant with the Old Testament scriptures, specifically Second Samuel 7, verse 12 to 14. When your days are fulfilled, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And so when the angel speaks to Mary, it's bringing this word in Second Samuel to fulfillment. And even as we read in Matthew 17 verse 5, when the voice came from the cloud, it says, This is my beloved son, fulfilling verse 14 of Second Samuel 7. Nevertheless, there was a problem, so to speak. Mary had a dilemma. And in verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel told her that the birth of her son was a matter of divine origin. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. And Jesus, being the Son of God, is a fulfillment of the prophecy that we have read in Second Samuel 7. And the moment the angel spoke these words, there is an attitude that we see that Mary demonstrates in her response. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And you know, every Monday we've been learning about a born servant. Mary was a maid servant of the Lord. That is to mean that she had set aside her will, subordinated her will to that of the Lord. And in this response, we find an expression of Mary's choice to trust in the Lord. As we know from Proverbs 3 verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Is it not tempting to lean on our own understanding even when we have heard what God has said. Sometimes I think we try to battle the thought, how will this be? How will that be? But you know, Mary just said, let it be to me according to your word. Now, despite the dilemma that Mary had and the assurance that the angel had given her, there was another problem. Joseph intended to put Mary away in Matthew's 
Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That Joseph's action of taking Mary as his wife would result in the fulfillment of God's word through his prophet Isaiah. Reading verse 22 of Matthew 1. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And this uh, prophecy is found in Isaiah 7, verse 14. You see, when you look at all these things that are unfolding, the dilemma that Mary has, the intention by Joseph to put her away, and the ensuing actions, you come to only one persuasion, that the plans and the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. And we have known this from Isaiah 46, 9 to 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. It was up to Joseph then to make a choice. Would he follow that which was revealed to him or told him in the dream by the angel? Or would he continue with his own persuasions? You know, but we see that Joseph almost follows the same example like Mary. He obliged. He did not challenge like Mary or debate the message given to him. In verse 24 of Matthew 1, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. When you think about the, the choice by Joseph and Mary, it almost brings me to the conclusion that they had done that which Jesus spoke about in John thirteen seventeen. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You know, Joseph did not go <clears throat> and find the ten steps to make a decision. He did not brood over it for two weeks. The scriptures just say that he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And to this extent we can say that Joseph loved God. You know, many of us would profess to love God, myself included. But I think as we have come to know from the word of the kingdom. Loving God has nothing to do with our singing that song that even brings us to tears.
but loving God has everything to do with doing what he has said because Jesus in John 14:21 says to us this morning that he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him do we love God this morning and as a result of the choice that Joseph made everything fell into place as God had designed them. Don't we know from Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to those who love God. Not those who say they love God, but to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And maybe it is for us to just be reminded that God esteems obedience to his word more than anything else. This is what Samuel told Saul in 1 Samuel 15:22 Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams I think we have a good illustration of one who chose to obey the Lord in Joseph and Mary then let's follow the journey towards the birth of Christ. There was a journey that they made to Bethlehem. At the time of Jesus' birth, the Jews were under Roman oppression. Caesar Augustus issued a decree for the entire world to be registered. Reading Luke 2, 1-2, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Joseph and Mary therefore begin a journey to Bethlehem. Continuing in verse 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And we see there is submission from Joseph's part to authority because Romans 13, 1-2 reminds us even this morning, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. I wonder how are we doing with respect to our submission to authority? You know, some of the decisions that authority makes may not be very palatable to us. I wonder, do we resist such ordinances when they come? How are we relating to authority at our places of work, for example? How are we dealing with authority at our county level, for example? And all that which will happen, may we follow the example that Joseph had in his submission to authority because it is a work of faith. I think the greatest dilemma for me as I began to be introduced to the word of the kingdom was that even if 
such a decree that came from authority was or had negative uh, impact on me, it really did not matter. What I needed to do was to submit because those in authority and those things that they have put in place, their obedience really was not a matter between them and me. It was a matter between them and God. And I think progressively, uh, God has helped me to just come to that persuasion. And as we see Joseph therefore submitting to authority, we can see that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, and that we know from Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. You know, the Lord had promised that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem in Micah 5 verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And so even as we see Joseph and Mary making the journey to Bethlehem, in their submission to authority, you, you and I can come to the conclusion that it is a work of God, or the promise that God had given through Micah the prophet, that actually was coming to fulfillment. In other words, Joseph and Mary, Naomi and Ruth, also made a journey to Bethlehem. This is where Naomi and her family originated from. Reading Ruth 1, 1, Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his two daughters-in-law. We know that only two of them, Naomi and Ruth, made it in verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And see the same, even with this journey that Joseph and Mary are making. Did somebody fill your horn with oil and go? I am sending you to Jesse about matters rulership. And in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And you know, interestingly, Jesse descends from There is a son born to Naomi, and they call his name Obed. He is the father of Jesus. It was now Mary's turn. And you see, this timing, because we are talking about Jesus Christ, we'll have to go back to the Old Testament and find a type for it. And we find one in Genesis 21, verse 2, speaking about the birth of Isaac, a type of Christ. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And like we read in Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law. And not only do we see that births are connected to time, but also with pain, because Jesus in John 16 verse 21 would say that a woman when she is in labor, has sorrow, because has, her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Continuing with the journey towards the birth of Christ, 
there was no room in the inn. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. That is what Luke records in Luke 2 verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And the Greek word manger comes from another Greek word which means to eat. A manger or a crib is a wooden or stone feeding trough or food box that holds hay for larger farm animals like cattle, horses, and donkeys. And they were located wherever livestock were. For example, places like stables, corals, or caves. And mangers are well supplied with fodder. The Greek word translated manger is also the word for store in Luke 13 verse 15. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? And the Hebrew word that is translated manger is also the word for trough in Proverbs 14 verse 4. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. And I wonder if scripture says where no oxen are, the trough is clean. What can we conclude about where oxen are? What would we say of the trough? Would it still be clean? It wouldn't, isn't it? And yet we know that when Jesus was born and wrapped in swaddling clothes, he was laid in a manger. I don't know, but were there oxen when Jesus was being born? Was the manger dirty for that purpose? And the swaddling clothes that we read about were bandages which were tightly wrapped around a newborn child. And historical evidence revealed that the rank of the child was indicated by the splendor and costliness of these bands. Children of wealthy parents would wrap the child with white linen and gold bands, but the poor used broad fillets of common cloth. And I think you can conclude the kind of swaddling clothes that Mary wrapped Jesus in. A manger became an incubator for the seed of the woman, the seed promised to Abraham, the son promised to David, the son of God. You know, this was not Jesus being born in the hospitals that we know. This was not Jesus being born in Nairobi Hospital, for example, or Aga Khan Hospital, for example. Jesus was born in a manger. And I wonder if you think about it in our local context, do you think he was given a birth certificate indicating that he was born in a manger? I don't know. But the question for us is, why was he born in a manger? And the answer is in the last part of verse 7 of Luke chapter number 2. It is because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for Joseph and Mary in the inn. And the word no means absolutely none. That is, there was absolutely no room. All doors to the inn 
were closed. Can you try to just imagine Joseph moving from one end to the other, asking if there was room, and all he heard was, we are full, there is no room. He goes to the next one, there was no room. He goes to the next one, maybe he may have been told, if only you had come yesterday. Today, we have no room. And there is a possibility that so many had returned to Bethlehem for the census. And as such, the small city of Bethlehem was overflowing with people. There was no room for Mary and Joseph, and this forced them to take refuge in the only available place, a shelter for animals. In a feeding trough for animals lay the very one who would later feed the world because he says of himself in John 6 verse number 35 I am the bread of life and I wonder whether as the Jews probably thought about him being born in a manger did that also have an impact on their perception of him as the Christ is there a possibility that to them the Christ had to be born in royalty the birth of Jesus came with two sets of responses. To one, this was news of great joy. But to the other, this news came with trouble. An angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds, proclaiming good tidings of great joy because of the birth of Christ. In Luke 2 verse 10 to 12, Then the angel said to them, that is the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and the shepherds hurried to Bethlehem to see what the angels had told them. Continuing in verse 15 to 16, So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us, know, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And having seen this, having seen him, they spread the news before they returned, glorifying and praising God in Luke 2.17. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And this can only be an allusion to what we have read in verse 10 and 11 that for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ, or rather who is Christ the Lord. We also see another group of people, wise men who came to Jerusalem. How many wise men were these? Were they three? Is that how we were taught, like I was? Three wise men. Let's read if they were three. 
Matthew 2 verse 1 to 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, how many wise men? How many? We don't know. Wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. I don't know where the number three came from. You see what the word of the kingdom has done to us. Um, verse 2 saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Jesus was born king of the Jews, just like the wise men said. And in fact, Jesus affirmed this when he had a conversation with Pilate in John 18:37. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. You know, when you think about Jesus after he was handed over to the chief priests and ultimately to Herod and then Pilate, when they asked him a question, he didn't say anything. He kept quiet. But it sounds to me as though when matters to do with his identity were put to the test, Jesus gave an answer. Herod and all Jerusalem, they were troubled at the news that there was one who was born king of the Jews in Matthew 2 verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And Herod gathered all the chief priests and scribes to inquire where the Christ was to be born. It's very interesting when you read verse 4 that he called all the chief priests and the scribes to inquire where the Christ was to be born. Even Herod could connect the king of the Jews with the Christ and yet the Jews did not. I wonder why he secretly called the wise men to inquire about the birth of Christ. But we know that the wise men, after going on with their journey and seeing the young child with his mother, they worshipped him. You know, in verse 11 of Matthew 2. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these wise men were warned in a dream not to return to Herod as he had instructed them. They were instead told to take a different route, and they obliged. And when Herod learned about it, he gave instructions to put to death all the male children from two years old and below. Simeon was a just and a devout man, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And reading Luke 2.26 of Simeon, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And having beheld Christ, this child, he made a pronouncement regarding Jesus. Reading verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them. 
this is Joseph and Mary and uh, the child and said to Mary his mother behold this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against yes a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed Anna a prophetess also spoke of Christ in verse 38 and coming in that instant she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him and to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem and with the departure of the wise men the Lord spoke to Joseph through an God instructs him to take his family and flee to Egypt going back to Matthew's account in chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 now when they had departed behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying arise take the young child and his mother flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him when he arose he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and even this journey to Egypt was not random it was purposeful because reading the last verse in verse 15 and was there until the death of Herod that it might be I called my son. We have gone all this trouble, dear friends, in answering that question. How is it that some said Jesus is John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, some a prophet? How come to them Jesus was not the Christ? What was it about him that had not been revealed to him? And what spiritual truths can we glean you've given us in Hebrews 10 Lord that we are together to stir up one another unto love and good works and especially Lord as we see the day approaching we thank you for this series that we've been on laws for profit and Father we have seen that the Jews had a different perception about Christ and Lord later on you asked the disciples the same question but who do you say that I am I pray that Heavenly Father we shall align ourselves with that which Peter said that it shall be revealed to us who you truly are and this has everything to do with Christ and his coming kingdom. Gracious God we have seen that the Lord we ask you to help us Lord that there will be room in our hearts dear God. We thank you God and we bless you and pray that even as we begin a new week that you may go ahead of us dear God and that you'll help us to continue to reflect on these truths and the Lord, even as we do so, that you shall bring us to a good understanding of it. And the Lord, if it pleases you for us to gather again on Sunday, the Lord, we will not forget to thank you. We bless you and we honor you because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, and we invite Johnson.